we're used to seeing stories of this type told where there is a hero and the hero is the person struggling mm-hmm. and we want them to get through it and we're disappointed when they don't. And this is just a person who gets into drugs and then destroys their life with it. And it's really showing the people around them how they struggle, how they try to participate in just daily life. And just having every single thing about your life tainted by this fact that your son has been given into this demon that he can't fight and will likely never be able to come back from. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spore the Warning podcast. This is review number 525 with our review of Beautiful Boy. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spore the Warning podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Here we are. We're here to talk about Beautiful Boy. Um, we've had we had some fun in our last few episodes, like talking about some. I mean, they weren't all upbeat. I mean, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we had. I think we had some more fun, fun talking about those films, especially mm-hmm. with Halloween. Um, now we're maybe going to bring it down a little bit with a more serious story, um, where a lot of people are not happy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know what's spookier than Michael Myers? Addiction. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely true, Stephen. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're here. We're going to talk about Beautiful Boy. I don't know what more to say besides that. We can just jump into the episode if that's cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a listen to the trailer for Beautiful Boy, and we're going to come back and give you that review. When I tried it, I felt better than I ever had. So I just kept on doing it. Why? I don't know. I thought we were closer than most fathers and sons. <laughs> this isn't us. This is not who we are. Both of you, stop. There are moments that I look at him and I wonder who he is. How's our boy, David? I'm not giving up now. Never. You always got to be controlling everything. It doesn't make any sense. You're controlling me right now. Don't you understand that? I had such grand plans. He'd graduate from college, do something amazing. And now I just want him to not die. Who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad. Here, this is who I am. If you could take all the words in the language, it still wouldn't describe how much I love you. I love you more than everything. I'm really sorry, Dad. as hell to get sober. But I love my family. I want them to be proud of me. I understand how scared you are. It'll pass though. It always does. you have is extraordinary and you're gonna get it back you're gonna find it again all 
right, so that was the trailer for Beautiful Boy. It is a film that is sort of based on two memoirs um, from a son and a father um, who basically <laughs> dealt with addiction. That The child became addicted to a number of drugs. And uh, this story is sort of that journey of what it does to the people surrounding the person who is addicted to drugs and um, just kind of the experience of living with someone you love having this sort of thing have power over them. Um, so Stephen Miller, what did you think of this film? So I'm, I'm probably going to let you do more of the immediate analysis after I give my little bit, because I can't tell yet exactly what I think of this movie. I think, I, I think it's anchored by a very good performance. I think it is like describing addiction in a very, in a way that rings very true to me and seems like a very like deeply felt look at the subject and I don't understand what it all adds up to and if it needs to add up to something or not. Um, it reminded me a lot of, did you see Still Alice? I did not. Okay, so, so that was um, the movie about Alzheimer's that was similar where it was heart-wrenching and like lovely and anchored by a, like a stellar performance that was telling exactly the story it wanted to tell of like this is what it is like to live with Alzheimer's. Yeah. But similarly, that movie, it, it was so sad and at the end of it, I wasn't sure if there was like a reason for the sadness beyond just me like living in that particular experience for a while. And I, I kind of felt that here, like the pacing of this movie is in interesting, but odd. Like there's a lot of nonlinearity in yeah. the subject matter. You, you and I talked about this in Mining the Gap last week. And I can only imagine that like this movie, the chronology must have like driven you crazy by comparison. Because th this movie, so much of it is like it begins a year into his addiction and then it goes back a year, but he has already been doing drugs at that time. And then it goes forward again and it goes backwards. The, the timing of it, the way it tells the story is very kind of scattered and impressionistic, I think, about like, here is the feeling of a person being addicted to something and the kind of up and downward swings and the way that like there doesn't feel like there's a rhyme and reason to the times that they start using again and the times that they aren't and the person they am aren't on drugs and the person they are without it. Like it, it had a kind of like scattershot feeling of like addiction is just this force that overwhelms your life. And I, I don't know, the, the way it paints it is like very suffocating in a way that like felt true to me. And I thought it was like a powerful movie, but I just couldn't, it took me a long time to wrap my head around like, how is this movie trying to tell the story? And yeah. like, what is it trying to tell me? Because this does not trace the normal addiction arc of we're going to watch the kid before we're going to see him dabble in drugs. And then we're going to watch this like grand fall from grace and then a redemption story. This is not that story. Yeah. The story begins where he is already falling, quote, it. I, I don't want to spoil the way it goes. It, it is a true story. So some like implicit spoilers should be in that yeah. already. Um but it, it doesn't. I mean, it, end. It's based on memoirs written by both characters. Yeah. So. and it, do, it doesn't end on a grand redemption arc either. Like if you were to plot the movie, it is just a roller coaster of up down, up down, up down, up down. Yeah. And like a lot of that struck me as very like keenly felt, very true to life. I think it really gets at like the hopelessness and the terrified feeling, especially of being a parent in this situation where you are watching your kid seemingly self-destruct and know that there's nothing you can do to stop it. And even the person himself who is addicted is aware of all of these pros and cons. Like Timothy Chalamet's Nick is a smart kid who knows what he's doing. And he, he's like a lot of people I've met before who like 
would wind up dabbling in drugs where they kind of, they idolize like Bukowski and these authors and the idea of being like feeling things more deeply and seeking like a deeper and deeper experience. And that just becomes this vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just trying to grapple with it because when, by the time the movie ended, like Joanna asked me how I felt and my answer was, I don't really sad. know. Like <laughs> I'm sad and a little bit crushed and this feels true from everything I know about addiction so far, but I don't, I don't know what to make of it exactly. So I'm, I'm curious first how it struck you. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, clearly, Stephen, the problem was that you didn't sit through the credits and listen to Timothy, Timothy Chalamet reading that poem, yeah. um, dis, disconnected from the film. But um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's a great film to kind of just be sitting with mm. as it's over and the credits go. And then he starts into that poem and you're kind of just like, listening to that poem and it's not technically it's it's abstracted away from the story so it's not like it's not a it's not an end credit scene it's just you're listening to him read the story or this poem and you're kind of just like already in the moment and then you just listen to that and you're like yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> now i'm gonna go walk home alone yeah <laughs> through the city um but no i i i love this film <laughs> um i i thought it was phenomenal um i i i, I know uh, yes, or Saturday, um, Saturday we went to a show unrelated to the podcast together and, um, I was just looking up show times to see what time. And I saw that this had like a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Mm. I don't know if it's still at that. I don't care. I was kind of like, Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, I was like, I wonder what is different in my head to the rest of the people who are watching this film or 67% of the, or the opposite. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I just thought this was a really tremendous story. And I think mm-hmm. what I love about it is that this is like, like if you compare this to say a star is born, which we've, we've reviewed recently, that is also a film about an addict. And you know, one of some of my complaints about that film was watching him dive into these moments where he gives in or he relapses and seeing what his motivations are because the story is sort of told from his point of view. I feel that beautiful boy is almost like if you watched a star is born somehow told only from the brother's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that because Timothy Chalamet is not the main character of the story, at least when I watch it, he's not um, Steve Carell is really the main character, like the father of this boy who's just trying to understand. And when you're dealing with watching somebody relapse you don't really need explanations for what drove him into that moment because you're watching it from the person who's just seeing him having relapsed. And there was something about presenting this struggle that he's going on almost exclusively from the father's point of view. Like you get moments where the father, like you do get moments where the father isn't there, but it's still within the context of it. And I just thought that we're used to seeing stories of this type told where there is a hero and the hero is the person struggling Mm -hmm. and we want them to get through it and we're disappointed when they don't and we just want them to not lose their music career or not lose the big deal in the stocks that they're trading like you know it's always watching a person who rises too quickly and then falls and this is just a person who gets into drugs and then destroys their life with it and it's really showing the people around them how they struggle, how they try to participate in just daily life, and how even the joys of life, the living in an amazing, beautiful part of the world, being in a place where it's a luxury just to be there, mm-hmm. and just having every single thing about your life tainted by this fact that your son has 
been given into this demon that he can't fight and will likely never be able to come back from. And it's just that there's this, this film just communicated so well, this kind of heavy weight that sits on you. Like it's easy to watch a story and be like, Oh, screw Bradley Cooper's character. He just sucks. I don't care about him. Right. But this is like watching all of the people surrounding this character be pulled in by that. And even though it technically doesn't affect their lives, it's still a person that they raise and they love. Mm -hmm. And just wondering if they're still alive on a daily basis, wondering when they're going to come back. Um, there, there's just something about it where like every moment of this film felt extremely authentic. Um, it didn't glorify it at all, the act of any of these moments. Um, and it just, I was there the whole time. And there were just some really beautiful, beautiful moments and beautiful in a tragic way moments of just people sitting in group sessions and like listening to one person and just feeling nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> because they can't feel anymore or other people just this little innocuous thing of just, I'm going to go into the bathroom for a second. Ooh, what are these? Right. Maybe I'll just take one of these and just like where that can lead. And just, I, I don't know. I, I just felt really drawn in and this is a very long movie. It's like, like over two hours long. And I was never, I didn't know when it was going to end and I was never like waiting for it to end. Um, other than the old women next to me who would talk from time to time. I just, I, I was just in it the whole time and feeling it. And it was just, I, it was one of those things where like, it's, it's kind of like when you hear like a good song that just had, like you're not even listening to the lyrics. You just have that feel and that emotion to it. And it's sort of like your rhythm syncs with it. This whole film, I just kind of sank with it, synced with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just, I just, I just, it just, what, for whatever reason, it worked 100%. And yeah. I just really um, found it compelling where other stories of this type just don't. I mean, like we've talked in, what feels like recently about lots of films that deal with al alcoholism. And I'm always like a little let down on this. Like I get it. You're, you can't not drink and it just never feels real. And I think in this film, maybe it's because there's literally scenes where like doctors like pointing at brain scans going like, Oh, see how this is lit up. That means he can't not do drugs. <laughs> right? See, like, like those scenes are kind of what took me out of it a little bit because there were moments where it felt kind of like, didactic to me like this movie this movie never became like you know as after school special or anything but there were moments where it felt very like here is me telling you as a parent how you should feel here is me educating you on what addiction looks like and there were like little bits like that that just felt it, it was always authentic and I think that the reason maybe it those both exist at the same time is the dad is looking at this as a writer and as like a investigator of sorts who is observing his son almost the way he would observe like another subject where he yeah. just wants to know like how does this tick what can i do what can i do to stop it and that just I, I don't know that framed the movie a little bit where it seemed like in in my mind in my mind steve carell's character is the protagonist of the movie and he is shaping how the movie goes and the movie makes it be about his experience to such a degree that I almost like felt a little strange about it. And I, yeah. and that isn't to say that isn't like an amazing thing to focus on it. It's gotta be really hard to be the, the other person in this equation who loves their child and has to learn how to let go gently, you know, and not, um, not destroy themselves over it. But there was just something about the framing of it where so much time was spent with him trying to understand what his son was going through. 
and I, I, I don't know, like maybe a little bit shorter runtime would have helped me. Like it, it just felt like it was indulging in that a little bit more than I wanted it to. I, I do think I clicked into it about like an hour in. There yeah. was a mo- eventually I was like, now I'm on the wavelength. Now I understand what you are doing. And it, there was just something about it where it, it started like in media res to me. Like it was like the moment the movie started, I felt like, whoa, we're in act two already. What, yeah. what am I doing? Like, where is my bearings? I, actually that, that, that moment that you talk about where like it starts from the middle of the film mm-hmm. where he has gone to see a specialist and he's like, the specialist is like, what are you writing an article about this? And he's like, no, I just want to have some questions answered. I think that was my least favorite part of the film. Not the scene when we get to it, but starting with that and then flashing backwards because that sort of, Tonally felt weird at that moment, but when you when you, once you've learned who the father is and what he's done up until that point, and you kind of see why he's there, it makes more sense. But I think that I think that it I think I could have definitely felt like you did, where it seems a little weird that this is such the father's experience. But I, I think that for some reason I clicked immediately into what was going on, and I think for me it made it just so much more compelling because if you are a person like. A person who has given in to these type of drugs, like um, there, there, there's a scene, I think it's in the trailer, where I think it's the, literally the first line of dialogue in the trailer. But um, Timothy Chalamet says, like, I tried it and I've never felt better than I did in that moment. Mm. And it's like once you've succumbed to that and all you want is that feeling again, you don't really care about your own life anymore so you can't convince me that you are sad about your addiction in a with any out like in individual moments i can feel empathy for you mm-hmm. but you cannot convince me that you are upset that this is where you are because you are only temporarily in the state of not wanting to be there and other times you're there so by reframing it in the standpoint of the father who has unending love for his son and maybe that unending love is being challenged over time yeah. and wherever that ends up has something to say. Like the like Steve Rell's like last moment of dialogue on the phone is like destroyed me. Like yeah. just like where he is by the end of the film. Like it's just for some reason I thought this is the way these stories should be told is mm-hmm. from everyone else's point of view, not the person who is going through it because they have their own perspective, which is like their whole problem is that they can't connect to the people around them because they're engaged in this one thing. And when you tell stories where they are the hero or the lead or whatever, you just you you can only see moments where they lash out at others and then feel bad for them in the moment. But you don't really like, yeah, somebody always drives away the girlfriend or the husband or the wife or whatever. But outside of these little conflicts, you don't really know like the, the like going back to a star is born. The, the biggest thing he does to hurt Lady Gaga is like, tell her she's ugly. Right. Mm. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, he's a dick and an asshole in that moment, but like that doesn't technically affect any more than this one fight they're having. But these are moments where like a person is literally standing on a shoreline, just remembering other times they've been there when they had this beautiful boy. And then now where they are just wondering if where he is, what he's doing, which city he's even in now. (laughs) So I want to say all of, all of that kind of cross cutting between, um, 
uh, the dad's experience with Nick as a child and his experience with Nick in that moment worked for me 100%. Yeah. I, I think that that feeling of being the father who is remembering your child who was full of all this promise and feeling this kind of hopelessness of like, where did it go wrong? Um, one moment for me that really worked very well, which is early on too, is he's remembering having a little pot with his son after graduation. Yeah. And that is like normally like a, you know, a happy, lighthearted moment. And this movie isn't twisting it. Like this movie isn't saying, oh, that was the gateway or that was anything. But it, it's just showing how like you look back at your life and you try to figure out like what could I have done to change things and when were there signs that I could have helped it. I thought that was all extremely well done. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I definitely believed all that. I also think the the final point that Steve Carell's character gets to at the end is beautiful too. His realization of what it means to be the parent, right? They they ultimately wind up going to a class where they they learn how to be supporters, right? And the main things that they learn is I cannot enact change, I didn't cause things, and I can't cure things. And this movie is very much about letting go and having a having a love that doesn't bleed you dry at the same time. I thought that was all beautiful too. Yeah. I think maybe my problem is I didn't feel like for all the flaws we see in Timothy Chalamet, I feel like I didn't get to see enough flaws in Steve Carell's character. Like I maybe wanted the movie to front load more of his, like his aggression and his fumbling to do the right thing. And because the movie is so much in the head space of like the father who tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, it, there was just something where like I, I was seeing so much of Timothy Chalamet's character letting him down and so little of him like reconciling with his own ways of failing in this moment or lashing out at people inappropriately. Yeah. And I don't know, there, it, it wasn't that it was glorifying him. I just, I felt his perspective as an author maybe more than I would have wanted to. Yeah. But I, but I guess I, I, I always saw him as it wasn't, it wasn't his, he never lashed out, but it wasn't because he was so strong that he didn't lash out. It was because he was just with, withdrawn all the time because mm -hmm. it was something that was always sitting over his head. Like there's a there's a scene at one point, like, you know, to, not towards the end, but like sort of towards the end where he's at like a recital for his kids, like mm -hmm. his his own kids. Yeah. right? Like I mean, they're all his own kids, but he and I mean, his new he, wife. Yeah, he and he and his new wife, um, like their kids, like little recital. And it's the moment where like every parent would be holding their little handy cam or iPhones nowadays and just like like recording this thing and be like, oh my God, this is so moment. And he just sort of like watching them, like looking right at them, but not seeing them because he's mm -hmm. too busy being weighed down. And it's not even that he's in that moment necessarily thinking of his, of his son. He's just like not thinking of anything anymore. It, it conveys anymore. the lack of presence, the kind of like yeah. out of body feeling when you're just doled from this like, it's like that low-key anxiety that's just always there where something is wrong and yeah, you can't yeah. fix it. This movie, like, if this movie is one feeling to me, it is that anxiety stretched out over the whole movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, for and sure. And it, it nails that feeling, and it's an unpleasant feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, there's a lot to praise it for. And, like, 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 maybe the thing I'm even having trouble with is also what I should be praising it for because – I think in my head, I'm so used to a grand arc where I'm going to see Steve Carell get to point B through some huge high and huge low and then a soaring like emotional arc in the end. Or I'm going to see a Y play out. And this movie is very intentionally saying, we're not going to give you a Y. There is no Y. And like, if I can praise it for that, I think that is almost definitely how life works. Like when we talked about A Star is Born before, we were discussing Bradley Cooper's motives for 
being driven to drink. Like, what yeah. was it that caused his sadness? And my argument there was, yeah, he provided four or five reasons, and the answer is all of them and none of them, right? The answer is we don't know. And this movie definitely steers into that in a way that I think is really true to life. I also think both of them, Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, are great. I think Timothy Chalamet is, like, amazing in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He really nails the... Um, like there's a certain aspect of him where when he's using, of course, then he's very believable as a person who is like currently high. But in his other parts of life, he just nails that. You can feel how he would kind of like wander into these situations or how he could have like a sadness behind him, even when he's very successful and doing well. And he like there's something to his life, especially by the end of this movie, where, like you said, the drug becomes so overwhelming that it isn't that you don't love other people or you like negative care about your life or anything. You just have lost the ability to feel ownership of it anymore or yep. to feel like a need and scenes of him just driving around or doing things where he, he seems like he's barely there. Right. Yeah. He is like seeking a high, he's doing something just to have a emotional reaction. And he is not, he isn't controlling his life the way that, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to explain, but he like really exudes this feeling of like the the addict mentality, and I think he it never tips into being like so dark that it just becomes like preying on him or showing him in like such an unglamorous light that it becomes like oh give me the Oscar, you know I got myself all dirty, I puked on stage, you know like yeah, it, yeah. it's much more of like a nuanced portrait of what addiction looks like and how it isn't this grand high and low but it's more of the daily grind and the daily failures um i i think it's treatment of recovery too is really beautiful i'm i'm a sucker for those kind of stories like david foster wallace wrote about them all the time and you know i loved smashed which was definitely kind of inspired by that too and the idea of like the the humble life of recovery where it is people sitting in a room and talking and knowing we are probably going to fail again and again and again and all we can do is like get up and try a second and a third and a fourth time and you know maybe eventually it's going to work yeah this movie definitely shows that grind in a way that was beautiful yeah and i think going back to the thing you said earlier uh the i think the time jumping allowed me to accept some of that ambiguity ambiguity in the story that i would potentially complain about in a thing like a star is born because like scenes where the father is like are you high right now? Will you take a drug test? Whether or not he's high right there in that moment is not what's important in that scene. What's mm -hmm. important is what does it feel like to be accused? Right. What does it feel like to not trust? And like whether or not he like, cause we don't see whether he passes or, or fails that drug test, right. but we know that there, there's no good outcome there. Mm -hmm. Either he was clean and he's upset that the father didn't trust him or he, he fails it and the father's upset at it. Like there, there's just yeah. a sense that like in these moments, once somebody has failed you so many times, you're incapable of just giving him that chance. And it's like, oh, well, you're you were five minutes late. Were you snorting something in the car before you came in? Right. Like, there's just like a sense of like you just at some point you give up believing that a person can do good and like how that lack of trust can then cause more problems later, both from the side of like just the relationship in general and also 
cause a person to dive further into the one thing that doesn't mm -hmm. distrust them. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think this movie does a good job of showing those, the different possible ways of dealing with that through the father character and the mother character, uh, because Steve Carell's father is very much trying to be in control, at least at first. And he is, he's trying to be responsible. He's trying to do the right thing, do right by his son. He isn't being like overly conservative or overbearing. He's just saying like, this has gotten out of hand. How can we solve it? And that scene in particular where he asks him to do a drug test, you can feel like, like you said, there's no good outcome. Like yeah. maybe it had to be done, but it also inflicted damage at the same time. And the mother character played by Amy Ryan, who is also the person who Steve Carell winds up marrying in the office, spoilers for the office. <laughs> that was an interesting little reunion. Um, she is Apparently very, make it. <laughs> she is very much the, I'm going to show him love and I need him to be his own person and I can't be overbearing. And they get into some arguments in this movie over that clash between the two ways of doing things where he would see from her, like he looks at her and says, how could you let this happen? You were supposed to be parenting. And she looks at him and says like, this isn't how it works. Like you, this can only cause harm. And kind of like a star is born. Maybe a thing I didn't love is I felt like that scene in particular, that drug test it feels like in the movie that becomes a factor to blame for later decisions that Timothy Chalamet makes. Maybe the movie wasn't trying to convey it that way, but it had like a kind of causality to it that I didn't like. Like it felt too neat, right? It, I, I feel like there's a jump in time, though, that, that causes enough separation for you to not follow a one-to-one -one path, but just mm -hmm. like, and now we'll check in later. Like it's 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 almost like the boyhood of yeah. of drug addiction, right? Where it's just like we're checking in at these random points, and uh, and we just we find out in that moment if they're on a good ticker, <laughs> bad yeah. talk, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. I did like the side characters in this movie too. Uh, Caitlin Dever shows up; she was in Short Term Twelve and Spectacular. Now, um, I think she's very believable as a kind of. My understanding of her character is. She is a person who has partied before, but not to this level, and is kind of like enticed by the lifestyle that uh, Timothy Chalamet's character can offer. Um, and Andre Royo, who is a drug addict on The Wire, shows up as his sponsor in this movie, yeah. which I thought was a interesting, if not a nod, at least it seems like a role that he was born to play. Yeah. And, um, I th and I think too those moments of like, it, it, like them them racing up the hill. There's there's this like it's a joy that you don't see in his character. Yeah kind of outside of those scenes where like it seems he's on a pretty good upswing and like you're you're happy for where he's going but like there's still this dread of like uh, is he going to get to the top of the hill and there'll just be drugs there like yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's you the dread of the whole movie is everything feels like something just around the corner could yeah I, and the movie definitely sets that up in feelings of like a perfectly nice dinner party something is in the medicine cabinet and all of a sudden it becomes a spiral right and yeah. th that was all very believable to me i also thought it was interesting the way that Again, I don't know if this is real causality or just the way the movie kind of frames it, but it feels like places are important, like places kind of trigger things or bring you back to your old lifestyle. Like the city of San Francisco does not bode well in this movie <laughs> for yeah. the most part. Um, and there was something about like seeing these like real life locations where we know like drive on that block like in any night of the week and you're going to see people on the street who are shooting up like it, it's a real problem and yeah. there was something about the movie kind of i don't know just waiting in a city and showing empathy for those characters but also showing that like 
maybe the best thing to do is to change your surroundings and get out of it. Like, it didn't feel too preachy there. It felt like it really conveyed that feeling in a way that I, I believed and resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which, where, where more to go with the story. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I just I just think it was... I I was drawn into it, like, instantly, and it kind of kept me going the whole time. And it's... There's really no happiness in this film outside of that riding up the hill on the bike thing, right? It's really just a sorrowful film. And for whatever reason, it clicked in with me where I just wrote it and kind of like this, this is, it's almost like depression was my drug in that moment. And like it kind of just bringing me down on a journey kind of, it just, it just did something interesting for me. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely a movie that I imagine if I were a person who's like close family member or loved one were going through this, this movie would resonate in a very, very, very strong way. Yeah. Because I, I think this is a movie that just has that ring of authenticity that you can just feel that it it knows what story it wants to tell. Yeah. And it is trying to give a complicated experience, like give voice to a bunch of contradictory feelings that you would have in that moment. So I think I like I respect the hell out of this movie. I don't even think it does anything wrong. Like even when I nitpick about the the arc that it goes on and the way it maybe glorifies the father character more than I would have liked, I don't think that's inauthentic at all. That is probably the dynamic that actually happened. And I can't blame the movie for that. It's just something about that real life it didn't hit me in the feels the way that maybe I I, I wanted to cry a little bit more than I did and instead <laughs> I was just like I was very numbly sad much of the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I got, I got misty. Oh, the, the everything, <laughs> everything moment, I got misty there. <laughs> so here's, here's one question for you. If I can talk about directly about a scene, I'll be slightly ambiguous about it. But um, there's a scene where Steve Carell, um, Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, has sort of like stormed off and kind of done one of his runaway times, and uh, Steve Carell goes and sits down in his son's room, and he finds his binder, and he's going through this journey of like watching. Um, like reading these like bits of text that slowly devolve from like text to art. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how did that scene uh, play out for you? I mean, very powerfully and very true to life. Um, without going into too much like family history, I had a uncle who got very into drugs and also I think like had mild schizophrenia or something, but he he had that same kind of like, artistic spiral and he kept journals and when I was a young kid he had already passed away at this point I would visit my grandparents house and I found those journals and I went through that period of like reading them and watching over time how things start to fall off the rails and yeah that felt like again one of those things that makes this very clearly a true story to me because yeah. I 100% believe that those journals are real and that that dad actually discovered them that way yeah yeah, um, yeah I thought that was a very elegant way of expressing the that feeling of hopelessness in like a really concise package yeah no i i i as it started i was kind of like i see what you're doing and i i kind of in my head i wanted to tell myself that it was being too over the top or too uh preachy or messagey like now i'm going to like put it in a way that you can metaphorically understand but it just like as soon as like a voice in the back of my head started to think that I was like, oh shit, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, yeah, I thought it was really, really powerful. Yeah. I, I also want to say that just the, 
the look and feel of this movie, like most of this movie is from the perspective of Steve Carell's character, but it does spend a lot of time, you know, not rec room for dream levels, but like a, a lot of time with Timothy Chalamet in his just drug usage. And it, yeah. it isn't glorifying it, but it also doesn't cut away. Like we see the needles going in, we see the injection happening. We see the long, slow kind of languid process. And I think like, Though somehow, even though they weren't glorifying, I thought they were really beautifully done. Like they were really striking images, and I think it it conveyed the kind of it, it isn't happiness, but it's also euphoria. It's like a dull euphoria. I don't know how to explain it. I, I've obviously never done crystal <laughs> meth, um, but I, I feel like it conveyed that feeling very well. And I thought those were really well done. There's a scene where he's um, on a college campus that I thought was really beautiful and there's a scene in a bathroom stall later in this movie that that was another tear moment for me and i thought it not tear because woe is me i didn't see this coming but just because it was so beautifully sad and i i think this movie definitely does nail that like you can tell that they both definitely weighed in on the process of writing the screenplay or at least making the books that inspired it because it, it had enough little moments from both perspectives where you think like that that feels like a true story yeah Cool. Uh, well, should we get to verdicts for this film? Sure. All right, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, a recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I'm going to go recommend with a caveat because I think this movie has a lot of merit. And again, I, I'm i glad that I saw it. I understand what it's going for. I just think if I can guess at that 67%, I think it's because people want a certain emotional arc and this movie, by its very construct, does not give that to you. Yeah. And if you go in looking for that, if you want a movie that is going to instill you with hope or with the kind of cathartic sadness where you get like some kind of release from crying in it, this movie is not going to give you that. This movie is going to convey the dread and hopelessness. And if there's any hope in it, it's just in the meta fact that everyone survived in the end and therefore we can all survive hell, you know, but, yeah. but the movie text itself is not about that. So caveat being this movie might really bum you out, <laughs> but it, it has <laughs> yeah. some amazing performances. Like I would be more than happy if both of them get nominated for something in this movie. I, I like, I think it's beautifully done and they tell a true story. It just, it didn't reach the like emotional Stephen high. That is usually what I chase in my life. Yeah. 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 Um, well, everybody knows that I don't chase any emotional highs. Yeah. <laughs> I just like to be depressed. Just cold, logical <laughs> consistency. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously that 67%, uh, whether or not it's still at that by the time you're listening to this, um, indicates that some people are not going to like this film. Uh, but I think for me, I'm still going to give it a must-see just because I thought it was really, really powerful. Um, and I thought it showed it showed this experience in a way that I feel like I haven't seen in other films. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it was just... I. What it did, it did so well in, in what felt unique to me. I know I'm sure Carson's going to point out some other thing that, <laughs> that has told the story in this way before. Um, but, I, but I just, it, it was an experience watching it. And I feel like I've said that about a few films recently. But like that going on the journey and feeling that journey was worth the price of admission. And I think that um, I was obviously not happy watching this film, but I was really i was moved by watching this film and it's nice to be moved so you you know what's interesting is the only 
immediate like things I can compare it to that are about addiction are music biopics. For some reason, those almost <laughs> always go hand in hand, like Born to Be Blue and A Star Is Born. And th- I don't like this movie is interesting in that it is about the addiction and nothing else. Yeah, and not in like a grandly dramatic, um, like claustrophobic headspacey way, but just in a we are going to tell the story directly and without flair. So yeah, I. I don't want to say that it is unique because, again, I'm sure someone has done this before. But to, yeah, to yeah. me, this experience, there are books that it reminded me of, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that is going to bring us to the end of this episode of the Spoiler Warning Podcast. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilTheWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to... A uh, beautiful boy. So hopefully you were enjoying that, and uh, yeah, that is our review for this week. So hopefully you enjoyed it, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. You think that you have this under control. I understand why I do things. It doesn't make me any different. You're just embarrassed because I was like, you know, I was like this amazing thing, like your special creation or something, and you don't like who I am now. Yeah, who are you, Nick? This is me, Dad, here, this is who I am. This is not you. This is not you, Nick. What are you doing, huh? You always gotta be controlling everything all the time. Let me, let me book your room no, at a hotel for no, a couple of nights. Dad. I don't want it to go like this.